Thanks, Todd. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we need to hear from you. Whatever our um, words that need to go away, let them go away. Whatever words are from you that need to settle deep into our hearts and lives, uh, would you would you root them in us? Thanks for what you're going to do. In your name, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so it's kind of an interesting life I live. I get to run around to different churches and uh, talk with different leaders and different pastors um, here in the central district, uh, around this nation, and somehow I get to go play in other places in the world as well. And there's one thing uh, that wherever you go, we sort of agree on. And that one thing is that we're called to be disciples. Uh, We're called to make disciples. The church is supposed to be a place where there is a culture of discipleship uh, that's evident, that that is uh, at the forefront of what we do. And that's the one thing we agree on. But after that, it just really gets sort of kind of fuzzy. Uh, and you, you start saying, okay, so what exactly do you mean when you talk about a disciple? And uh, it, it doesn't matter where you do this, uh, the, the answers just vary all over the place. Uh, you ask the question, so what are you doing in your church ministry or whatever ministry you have to create disciples? And it just bounces all over the place and people got options and after the first service, a couple people came up to me and said, hey, you ought to check out this option and check out this option. And I just went, yeah, that, that just confirms what I just got done saying. Uh, the, the, we're really, really fuzzy when it comes to this idea of what exactly is a disciple. Now, part of the reason it's fuzzy is because you can, you can go to Scripture and you can read up and down, back and forth, uh, and, and look for when does God stop and go, now let me make it real clear, chapter and verse, this is what a disciple is. And we go, oh yeah, we all got it, we all agree on it. We can move forward. You're not going to find that in Scripture. And that's a little bit curious to me. I mean, if, if the commission is go make disciples, and, and we know that that, that really is the, the heart of, of what it means to walk with Christ is to be a disciple, how come God never went, oh, I better make sure everybody is on the same page here? A little interesting. The problem with him not answering that question is we tend to like definitions, don't we? Particularly in the Western way of thinking, we like definitions. And so if we could just get the right definition, maybe it would help us to be more effective and intentional and and productive in disciple-making and from there impacting the world around us. So what we do is we tend to come to Scripture and we start pulling out words, okay? And, and typically what we do is we pull out Greek words because Greek words are the words, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek and so we think, well, if we understood the Greek word, then we're going to understand what a disciple is. And so we start looking at what words have we translated into disciple and That's a dangerous little deal that we got going on there. The reason it's dangerous is because one of the words that we pull out is the word 
that is translated learner. And so we'll say, well, what's a disciple? And some people, oh yeah, it's, they're a learner. Well, the danger with that definition is that we think learning equals information. And so what we start doing is we start pumping people full of information, thinking that if I can give you more information, that's going to make you a better disciple. So we got books and seminars and information and information and information. But we all know stories, don't we, of people who have all kinds of good information, good biblical information that are just blowing their lives up. People with good information that are eventually going, like, I want to hear Jake's story now, but going, "Uh, I got the information. Forget God, forget the church. And they're they're walking away and never coming uh, back. And and so we've got to be careful because if we're not, we start looking for a definition and we buy into this idea of more information equals better disciple. And that's not true. Well, the other things we do is we pull out this other Greek word that means follower, okay? And so there we kind of like that idea, uh, and we think that in, in following, it comes down to this idea of, well, if we do all of the right things like that person did, then we must be a good disciple. Right actions equals right person, right disciple, and again... I don't think that's true. So the question is this. Why did Jesus fall off the, the, I don't know, the chair for a moment and not give us a clean dis, uh, definition? Why did he fail? And I don't like using that idea to give us that kind of look into what it means to be a disciple. Well, I think... Uh, what we find here in Scripture is that it is an assumed understanding. Uh, There was an assumption that those who were reading Scripture already had a framework of what discipleship meant because it was clearly ingrained in the culture of the New Testament. Uh, It'd be like somebody writing today and, and they're writing along and they're talking about carbon footprint or they're talking about online presence. They're not gonna stop and define what carbon footprint means. But a couple hundred years from now, honestly, I sure hope Jesus shows up before we get there, but a couple hundred years from now, somebody may be reading what Todd wrote about uh, carbon footprint and go, well, what exactly did he mean? And they're going to start looking at the definition of carbon and footprint, and they're going to totally miss uh, the idea of what we mean there because there's an assumption of it already being ingrained in culture. So the question we need to ask is this, what did the writers of Scripture assume the writers of Scripture understood based on the cultural practices of the day? Well, here's the story. Uh, Back in Jesus' day, uh, kids had the opportunity to go to three levels of schooling. Uh, The first level was called the house of the book. The second one was called the house of learning. And the third one was called the house of study. And so five-year-old little boys and little girls uh, would have the opportunity to go to uh, their first educational experience and go to the house of the book. And in the house of the book, what they did was they took the first five books of the Old Testament and they used them 
as a way of teaching children how to read and write. And so after they got done going through the house of the book and all of the studying that went on in that environment for a couple of years, there was a test. Uh, tests have been around for a long time, kids. Uh, and, and those tests, uh, you, you, well, it's just like today, you passed or you failed. And those kids that could pass that test, and the vast majority could pass that test, got to go on to the next level of schooling. The next level was the house of learning. And in the house of learning, what they did was they took the rest of the Old Testament and used that as their curriculum in teaching young Jewish boys and girls about themselves, about the world around them, about the Lord, and, and on and on and on from there. And at the end of those several years of study, there was a test. You took the test, and it was this test that really began to shape the direction of people's lives, okay? And so mom and dad would sit at home, and they're biting their fingernails while little Mikey's taking that test, going, oh, I hope he's doing okay, kind of thing. Uh, and if you could pass this test, you got to go to the next school, uh, block of, of learning. A lot, a lot, a lot of kids at this point, though, just didn't make the cut, okay? And so they went home, uh, and uh, they just picked up the family business. They were fishermen, they were shepherds, they were carpenters, uh, whatever it might be. But there was this other group that could make it into this final level of schooling. And so it was during this final level of schooling that parents started to get a little goofy. They started, they started kind of, uh, you know, always trying to make sure that little Mikey got in front of any opportunity to get them in front of one of the rabbis was what they were after. Oh, here comes Rabbi Todd. So let's get little Mikey up in front of Rabbi Todd. Hey, Mikey, I want you to, I want you to meet Rabbi Todd. And Rabbi Todd, meet Mikey. And hey, Mikey, why don't you tell Rabbi Todd a little bit about what you know about the Old Testament? And Mikey would stand up proud and... He'd start quoting stuff and telling stuff. And the whole idea was sort of to impress the rabbi. And, and the rabbi's making mental notes. Ah, little Mikey, not too bad. Uh, and, and, and so every time a parent got a chance to get their kid in front of a rabbi, they were taking every advantage of that. Because at the end of this last block of schooling, there was a test. Okay, and for those kids that passed that final test, uh, it sort of became like this, I don't know, talent show kind of deal where the parents would all line up all their little Mikeys and Sallies and Billies and those kind of things, and the rabbis would come and, and they'd go, oh yeah, I remember little Mikey, kind of like that kid. Little Mikey, come follow me. And the rabbis would sort of, pick the cream of the crop, to come be their followers, to be their disciples. And, and, and this following thing was intense. It, it wasn't just kind of a, hey, I'll see you tomorrow at four and we'll hang out till five. It was a, no, uh, little Mikey actually went home, packed up his stuff and moved in with the rabbi. Uh, the, the, they became part of the rabbi's family. 
they uh, were basically adopted into that rabbi's family. The, little Mikey went wherever the rabbi went, and little Mikey started to watch what the rabbi did, and he would do what the rabbi did, and, and he would begin to think like the rabbi and talk like the rabbi. He would take on the rabbi's perspectives. He would, he would say, oh, that's what the Old Testament means. How do you know that? Because that's what the rabbi said, and I believe him. Okay, and, and so uh, it, it really became a, a pretty extensive journey up until 30, 35 kind of idea that this disciple would just kind of follow the rabbi, be part of their life. Uh, they took on a new allegiance. Uh, there was a written rule uh, that said, if your dad gets kidnapped and your rabbi gets kidnapped, well, this isn't quite the way it was said, but forget dad. Your responsibility is the rabbi. Whatever you got to do to get him his captivity, out of captivity, that's what you do. Forget the old man. He's out. Uh, and, and so there was just this extreme uh, commitment made uh, to the one that they followed. It became a journey to think like and act like and take on the attitude and perspective and character and priorities of the one they followed. Now, that was what went on in the background of people's thoughts and minds as they were reading the New Testament in the early days going, oh yeah, obviously. That's what, that's what a disciple is. So taking all of that story, how do we distill all of that three school thing and tests and rabbis and choosing and walking kind of thing? How do we distill that down into a simple definition? And I think it's really important that we begin to grab onto a simple definition of what a disciple is. Straight out of the story, a disciple is one called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. What we want to do is we're going to take a few moments to just sort of unpack this definition. Uh, one called by Christ. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 is the story of Jesus calling some of his first disciples. The, the story's actually repeated in Mark, it's repeated in Luke, uh, and repeated in the book of John. And each one of these versions adds a little bit more to the story. For the sake of time, we're going to look at the Matthew version because it's the shortest. So, verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, right away, you ought to start developing a little bit of an idea about who these guys actually are. Jesus said, come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, remember, normally what happened is parents lined up 
their, their kids, and the rabbis came along and, and picked, right? But in this situation, Jesus is walking along the beach. Jesus is doing the scouting. Jesus is the one out there identifying people to call to himself. And, and you'll, if, if you paid attention to the first part of the story, you'll notice he's just kind of going after ordinary people. He, he's going after sort of the unlikely people. He's going after the kids that couldn't make the cut. He was going after those people that weren't at the top of the class kind of things. They, and we read further on in Scripture, you look at the various calls. Jesus had the tendency to call the most unlikely to himself. The, the, some of the least, some of the low life at times he was calling to himself. And i got to be honest with you. That's good news, isn't it? Because it seems like, now I don't know everybody in here, but I'm venturing to guess that most of us, we're just sort of ordinary people. Nothing really special. Nothing about us deserves to be called. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Our parents aren't shoving us in front of Jesus going, hey, look at little Johnny here. And yet, the master has said to us, come, follow me. I know you're not perfect. I know you don't have it all put together. I'm not looking for that. Come, follow me. Now, notice the response out of these guys. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? They just said, all right. And they packed up and they walked away. Well, they didn't pack up. They just walked away. They left their nets, they left their boats, they left their dad uh, and said, we're out. Got, got, got something better to be giving my life to than this. It, it, why did they do that? How were they so quick to make that kind of decision? Well, what we don't know it, out of this story, you go look it up in Luke, is that they just got done watching Jesus do some crazy stuff, displaying some divine power calling them to some very specific things. And they thought, huh, if this is what this guy's about, it would not simply, it's not an option to follow him, it's an honor to follow him. Are, are you serious? You just called my name? You're inviting me on this journey of becoming like you? Woo, I want some of that. That would be an honor to be part of something like that. And so they responded. A disciple is one called by Christ. Let's go to the next one. Into a loving relationship with Christ. Uh, if you, you look at John chapter 13, uh, verse 34. Uh, Jesus here is talking to his disciples and he says, listen, I'm gonna give you a command. And the command is this. Love one another. Love as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It, it, listen, this whole thing that we have been invited into by Jesus Christ, this whole thing is wrapped up in loving relationships. 
here's my concern on this. Here's what I tend to observe in my life, in the lives of others. We tend to pour ourselves into religious activity rather than pouring ourselves into a loving relationship. I don't like that about myself. That's not just my concern. It's not just my observation. You read throughout Scripture and you see this over and over. Uh, There's this tendency in, in the human heart, in the human nature, to drift towards religious activity devoid of loving relationship. I'm just going to point out two examples. You read, you'll see more of them. But in Matthew, uh, Jesus is, is talking to some people. He says, listen, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He says, listen, man, y'all get together and you sing some great songs and you worship with your actions, but there's no love in this thing. Your hearts are completely divorced from what you're doing in your worship times. It's, it's all just sort of like hot air. Uh, he goes on in another section where he's saying, you know, many will say to me on the day, that day, the, the last day, Lord, Lord, di- didn't we, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Listen, We did a lot of great religious stuff. I mean, we were killing it. And Jesus will say, look, I never knew you. You you perfected religious activity, but there was no love in the relationship that I invited you into. You converted to religious stuff. You didn't switch allegiance and fall in love. So easy, so easy to drift there. Uh, It's interesting to me, uh, thinking about this whole discipleship thing, I went home, not home, went to my office, and and started pulling off discipleship manuals on on my shelf, and I got a whole shelf full of them, all right? Start flipping those manuals open. Start just kind of quickly reading some of the table of contents, some of the early stuff in it, and going, all right, new, new believer, old believer, I don't care what kind of believer. Somebody says, listen, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right, I got a great manual for you. Let's talk and let's look at it. Uh, and what happens is those manuals go like this, almost without exception. They start off with, okay, let's, let's teach you how to read the Bible, and let's teach you how to pray, and let's teach you how to witness, and let's teach you how to go to church and, and, and sing songs, and let's teach you how to give, and let's teach you. And it's activity over and over and over and over and over again. Now, please, under, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I know you, you go, well, what's wrong with those things? Well, the truth is, is there's nothing wrong spending time in the word of God. There's nothing wrong spending time in prayer and talking with him. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. The problem is that we have substituted those things for a loving relationship. It's all about the starting point in a lot of ways. Look at, the, look at this idea here. Uh, 
religious activity rarely leads to healthy, loving relationships with Christ. Flip side, though, a healthy, loving relationship with Christ proactively leads us to healthy religious activity. It's, it's all about the starting point. You're going to end up doing some of the same things, but it's about the starting point. Are you in love with the master? Are you in love with the king? If so, how do you, how do you, how do, you do that? Or is it, I, I'm kind of going through the motions. I'm doing the religious stuff I'm supposed to do because that's what people tell me to do and hoping that maybe I'll fall in love with Jesus. Why do we do that? Why do we settle into religious activity? Well, I think one of the reasons we do that is because, let's just be honest, it's hard to be in love with someone we can't see. It's sort of the elephant in the room, isn't it? How do you love someone you can't, like, reach over and squeeze a little? And so what we do is we just resort to religious activity, hoping that counts in some fashion. So, what do we do with this idea of, I can't see him, so how do I love him? Well, here might be a, a practical idea, something you could consider. It's homework. If you're into homework, uh, so the homework is this. There was this guy that uh, a number of years ago studied humanity and, and uh, wrote a book about how we love, okay? And basically it boils down to this kind of idea that, that each of us uh, show love in a particular way and each of us receive love in a particular way. And, and there tends to be about five ways that we go about that. And the book was called The Five Love Languages, some of you may have read uh, this book. The idea is that um, uh, there's five ways that love is communicated or received. It's either communicated or received through quality time. Oh, I feel loved when we just are together. I don't have to do anything with just quality time. I feel loved uh, with words of affirmation. Uh, and, and we just spout these just beautiful things about whoever it is that we're in love with. Uh, acts of service may be another way, or giving gifts or physical touch. And for each one of us, according to this study, uh, it says that each one of us has a primary way that we give love, and we have a secondary that we kind of do pretty well at. Uh, and so if um, we know what our love language is. We know what our spouse's love language is. We know what our kids' love language is. We have a better shot at communicating the love that's in our heart towards them. So taking this idea, what would it look like if we knew our love language and then turned that towards the king himself? So here's, some, here's, here's something to do. Go home this afternoon and there's a website here. And you can get on that website and you can take a 10-minute little test. And it's going to ask you all kinds of questions. And what it's going to do is at the end of the test, it's going to say, hey, your primary love language is quality time or words of affirmation or whatever it might be. And then it's going to say, and your secondary love language is probably 
whatever you end up with. And, and what I would encourage you to do is go home and figure out your love language. And then figure out how do I take my love language and use that to communicate my love to our rabbi, the king, Jesus. What does that look like? What does it look like to spend quality time with someone you can't see? What does it look like to give words of affirmation to somebody you can't see? What does it look like to, down the road you go, right? You 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 don't have to do all of them. You've got a primary way of communicating love. Jesus would like you to figure that out. And then figure out how to lavish that love on him. Now here's a little extra credit if you want it for homework. Think through all five ways and start surprising Jesus with the the kind of love that you're bringing to the relationship. We just have to be really careful. We get caught up doing religious stuff devoid of loving relationship with the king. A disciple is one who's called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. Eh, I I guess we don't need to stop the trend now. I keep saying every time, here's what I'm concerned about. Well, here's what I'm concerned about when it comes to this one. The concern is this. I think we have confused our destiny. Now, if you walk up to anyone... Uh, that's a follower of Christ, and say, hey, tell, tell, what do you think the destiny of the person sitting next to you is? What, what do you think it is that God really wants for them? And you get answers like this. It tends to be one of two things. We'll say, well, God wants the person next to me to be saved. Okay, that's a good answer. Let's talk to somebody else. Well, what's the destiny that God has for the person sitting next to you? And, and, and usually the other typical answer is, well, God wants them to spend eternity in heaven. Not a bad deal either. And, and we say this is the, and so either we, we chase getting people saved or we chase or help people chase getting to heaven without blowing themselves up kind of thing. If we look at Scripture, what we find is that God is pretty clear about the destiny that he has for every follower that he has called. And it's found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, oh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, oh, here's our destiny, Here's what God's really after for you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Stop and let that settle in for just a moment. You can look into the eyes of any other person in this room that has been called by Christ and you can say, I know your destiny. I know exactly what it is that Jesus wants for you. Honestly, it's not simply to get saved. And it's, and it's also not for you to just show up in heaven someday. God's destiny for every person in this room is to be conformed to the image of his son, to look 
like Jesus, to take on the character and priorities of Jesus, to become like the one that we follow. Here's the danger with that idea. If we embrace that my destiny, okay, let me admit this. Getting saved, yes. That's the first step towards that destiny of becoming like Christ. Stepping out of this world into heaven, that's like the final step in being conformed fully to the image of the Son. But it's, it's, this, it's this journey in between with God going, oh yeah, keep looking like my Son. That's, your destiny. That's, what, that's exactly what I want for you. To become like him. The danger with that idea is that for whatever reason, we always think it's up to us. And we start striving, don't we? We start trying. Oh yeah, okay, so that's what it means to be like Jesus. I gotta try a little harder to be holy. Oh, that's what it means to be like Jesus. I gotta love even my enemies. Okay, I gotta try that a little bit harder. And we just go down the list, don't we? And we start trying in our own strength, in our own ability to become more like Jesus. I don't know about you, but the vast majority of people that I meet, when they start trying, that's when things go wrong. The harder we try, the more difficult it gets. When we strive, we eventually get tired. And when we get tired, we get frustrated. And when we get frustrated, we start beating ourselves up. And pretty quick, we're just like, you know, this whole following Jesus thing, man, this is just killing me. Uh, I don't know. Here's the good news. The good news is this. Becoming like Jesus is not something that happens through your efforts. Jesus didn't say, strive to become like me. You work harder at becoming like me. If you could just clean that up a little bit, you'd be like me. The the beauty is, becoming like Jesus isn't really your work at all. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18 says that it is the Holy Spirit's work to transform you into the likeness of the Son. I like that idea. Now, that's not a license to just go, woo, I get to go do whatever I want. But, but it, it, it helps us recenter our understanding that, listen, my destiny is to become like Jesus. The Trinity was smart enough to give me the Holy Spirit to help me get there. So why am I, what's Sovine got to do with this whole thing? Scripture goes on to say that my responsibility in becoming like Jesus is simply to give the Holy Spirit all the room I can to do the work only He can. I'll say that one more time. You might want to chew on that idea for a minute. My job in becoming like Christ 
is to give the Holy Spirit all the room I can to do the work only He can. That's good news. So how do we, how do, we do that? Uh, that? That's another sermon. Here, here's just three thoughts. Keep sin confessed. Keep showing up on the Holy Spirit's doorstep and asking Him to do His thing and listen and follow when He talks. That's how you give Him space. Keep, keep the sin clutter out of the way so He can do whatever He wants to do. Keep showing up and going, hey, it's a new day. I need a little help here. You want me to be like the son? I really am not very good at doing that. I'm going to need a little help. Uh, here I am. Room's clean. Do what you need to. And then when the Holy Spirit speaks, you go, oh, okay. I, I can follow that cadence call. A disciple is one called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. That is what the original readers of the New Testament thought when they read the word disciple. Oh, yeah, I know what a disciple is. One called by Christ into a loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. What I don't want to do today is give you a bunch more information and then say, all right, go enjoy the rest of the day. I think we're going to take some time to respond. And we've got time. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back through the definition one more time. And at each point in the definition, we're going to stop. And we're going to give you a chance to respond to whatever the king is saying to you. Each time we stop, um, there are going to be different people in the, in the room that are going to going to maybe potentially need to, to respond to it. So we start back with this idea, disciple is one called by Christ. For some in this room, for some of you, maybe today is the first day that you've gone, huh, I have never really sense that I was called by Christ to come follow him. I've never responded to that call. Yeah, I, I, I've heard about this stuff. I've, I've pondered a relationship with Jesus. But maybe today that Jesus is walking along the beach of fresh water back and forth and he's going, hey, come follow me. Yeah, I'm calling your name. Come follow me. And maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know if I've ever responded to that call. Maybe you're here today and for the first time you're going, wow, 
this isn't about an option in life. This is an honor. You mean the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the ultimate rabbi just rode into Wadsworth and is walking up and down the aisles and he, he's going, hey, you know what? I like you. You're just a normal schmuck just like the rest of them in this room. I, I'd like you to follow me. I'd like, to, I'd like the opportunity to invest in the rest of your life. Jesus is saying, you know what? Come, come let's, let's figure out this love thing. Come, come walk with me and let's see what it's like to become like me. Maybe there's some in the room today that are going, I, I think the king's calling me. Maybe you're saying, all right, today's the day. All right, yeah, sign me up. It'd be an honor. It'd be an honor to follow you. Let's get gutsy with this. If you're in the room today and you say, I'd, I'd like to take the king up on that offer. I think it'd be an honor to surrender my life to him. I want to do that. I'm going to ask if you'd just stand. I know that seems like, ooh, stand. No, we just want to celebrate the call of the king on your life. As a body of believers, that's, that's the greatest, one of the greatest joys we have is seeing people go, ooh, that's an honor and I'll take it up. I'll take that call. I'll, I'll follow that call. Is there anybody in the room that would just say, I've never done that. I think today's the day I want to do that. We're going to spend a long time here. I just don't want you to miss the opportunity when the king's walking along the beach going, I like it. I like you. Come on. All right. Let's keep moving. There's some in the room that when it comes to this idea of a loving relationship with Christ, there's some in this room that are saying, man, my relationship with Jesus consists of a lot of religious activity. I'm good at religious activity. I've perfected that thing. I do all the right stuff. But if I stop and I think about it, I don't really feel in love with Jesus. Go through the motions. I'm good at it. But I want, I want to fall in love with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe when it comes to loving relationships, you're in the room and you're saying, you know that whole love thing? I remember that. I remember feeling in love with the Lord. But, but something's happened. And I've started to sort of drift from it being all about love and it's becoming a whole lot about activity and doing the right stuff. And I just want to call time out on that and say, all right, I want to get back to this thing. I want to get back to being in love with the king. Maybe there's some in the room that either one of those would be where you're at today. It's never consisted of love or the love's 
the love's kind of gotten cold. If that's you, and you'd say, all right, I want to declare my love one more time. I want, to, I want to ask the king to give me that deep, passionate love for him. I'm going to invite you to stand. Ah, it's awesome. Now, what we're going to do here is this church believes in praying for people. Uh, and, and listen, it's, I'm nothing special, so I'm not going to pray for you. But we, as the body of believers, are going to pray for one another. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is you, you see people that are standing, and those believers that are around these people, if you just, just gather around them quickly, and, and here's, this is not counseling time, right? This isn't, so, what's wrong with your love? Uh, we're not going there. What you're going to simply do is say, what do you want from Jesus? And, and you get the chance to say, I just, oh, I got to fall in love. Love got cold, whatever it is. And, and then the people that have gathered around you, you're just going to pray what they asked. Okay, don't, don't wander off but just pray for whatever they've asked, okay? So, uh, this is time for the body to be the body. Some of y'all are gonna need to get up and move a little bit, go find you some people that are standing and begin to pray for our brothers and sisters that they would have the joy of a deep, loving relationship with the, with the king. So, so begin to pray. Let me ask this. Is there anybody that doesn't have anybody around them that wants to be prayed for? If you just raise your hand. That way we just make sure that we've got everybody covered on this. All right, we're good. Keep praying. All right, y'all keep praying until you're finished, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the rest of the people that are still sort of here with us. There may be some in the room that are saying, you know, I, I've missed the pursuit of my true destiny. I thought my destiny was to get saved or get to heaven. I, I, I've been working really hard to maintain my salvation or working really hard to just kind of live a good life. 
so I can give a good account. There might be some in the room that today you're going, huh? Maybe I've been chasing the wrong destiny. And I want to surrender to that destiny. I like that destiny. I like the idea of the Holy Spirit wanting to conform me into the character and priorities of Christ. So that's the destiny I ought to be giving myself to. Maybe there's some that would say, all right, I, that, that's it. I, I want that. Or in the same sort of vein, maybe you'd say, yeah, I kind of know that I'm supposed to be like Jesus, but I gotta be honest, I've been striving in my own strength. I, I've been putting all the effort into it and I'm not creating space for the Holy Spirit. And you'd say today, I'm done. I, I give. I, I'm tired of trying on my own. So again, the way you respond is if, if, you're, if you're thinking, okay, I'm I gotta shift destiny priorities. You may wanna stand and say, that's me, I got the wrong destiny, I wanna get it right. And, and we're gonna ask people to just gather around you and say, thank you Jesus for getting them on the right trail. Uh, there may be some others that are saying, I've just been doing it in my own strength and I'm done. Uh, I just need the Holy Spirit to show up. So if that's you, let's be gutsy about it. I invite you to stand. And just say, I need the Holy Spirit to do his work. Done striving. You may say, uh, I've just been chasing the wrong thing. Okay, so it's a little trickier now because there's lots of people standing. So now y'all are gonna have to get just a tad more gutsy and just kind of put your hand up and go, yeah, that was me, I, was, I wasn't standing before. So if, if you see somebody with their hand up, would you, some people just gather around uh, and uh, begin to pray for our brothers and sisters. Ask them, what is it that, that you want the Lord to do? Uh, and, and pray for them, okay? So there's a couple still standing over here. Good. And while these guys that are gathered around are celebrating what Jesus is doing in uh, our brothers' and sisters' lives, the rest of us are gonna just spend a little bit of time uh, uniting our voices in honor of the king as we close our time together.